This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Monday, July the 29th. I'm your host, D.A. We thought coming into the season it would be a heavyweight battle between the Red Sox and the Yankees. But to this point in time, nearly August, heading into the trade deadline, it's been all Yankees. Although over the weekend, the Red Sox made a statement. On Thursday night, they put up 19 runs in a 19-3 shellacking of the Yankees. 10-5 on Friday night, Red Sox over the Yankees. On Saturday, 9-5 over New York. But yesterday on Sunday, the Yankees end up pulling out the finale of the four-game set, 9-6. There's still a ton of work to be done for the Red Sox to take over the AL East. They're still nine back in the division behind the Yankees. The defending World Series champions did some work, but perhaps not enough. Here is one of the voices of the Red Sox, former voice of Monday Night Football, former voice of the World Series on CBS, Sean McDonough, on how much work there is to go on the Red Sox season. Sean, do you think if you were somebody who went into this weekend concerned about the Red Sox that that, uh, what happened at Fenway has changed your mind? Well, I think it's... Unfortunately, last night kind of made it feel a little bit like it's more of the same on this season. You know, every time it looks like they're picking up some momentum, and it really felt like they had a lot of momentum. Something like last night happens to kind of stop that. I think, in particular, Chris Sale has been a big disappointment. He's so talented, and he's shown it in flashes this year. I don't think he's hurt. You know, he wouldn't be throwing 95 earlier in the year, 97 as regularly as he has. I don't think if his arms really bothering him, but. You know, for him to be 5-10 and 10 and to throw a game like he did last night, when, you know, he really needed to get out there and, and uh, pitch well against the Yankees and help complete the sweep. And now you're really talking. But, you know, instead of being seven games behind, to be nine games behind with two months to go, that's a big difference. And it certainly felt like a little bit of a momentum stop. You know, I think we've seen, you know, the Red Sox may have, I think they do have the best lineup in baseball. You know, they've scored more runs than any team in baseball. And, you, know, you just look up and down that order, particularly with you know some guys like Christian Vasquez, who's had a dramatically better season than he's had in the past. You know they can hit with anybody, based on the track record of the pitchers, guys like Sale and Porcel and Price. If those guys are who they've been for most of their career, they should be able to pitch with everybody too. But those guys haven't been who they've been, and you know, until that changes, and it didn't change for Sale last night, you know, I, I think it's hard to uh, think they have a a great shot at winning the World Series. I still think they could put it all together and do that, but uh, but we need to stop having these momentum stoppers and the reasons why the momentum gets stopped. They keep happening. Did they clear the area last night when J-Lo was up there presenting the cake to A-Rod? No. You know, I've been around her before where they do that, but uh, there was minimal amount of security, and 
actually, when I came out of the booth after the game, she was just standing in that hallway right outside our booth with a couple of kids. And uh, she was telling one of the kids that it was too late to have a piece of candy, which I thought was good mothering. And, uh, Better than Snooky, yeah. yeah. Seemed very nice. Yes, yeah. she was. <laughs> I, I, I've met her a couple of times, and uh, I've always thought she was very pleasant to be around. What do you think of the job A-Rod does when it comes to being a broadcaster? I think he does a good job. You know, I think he's worked hard at it. And a lot of guys who uh, were big-name players, you know, there are a few bigger-name players than, than him, you know, they uh, you know, kind of show up and think they can get by based on their knowledge of having played the game for a long time and that sort of thing. But uh, he works hard at it, and you know, I think he's improved as time has gone on. Sean McDonough's our guest, so... Obviously, it doesn't get any easier, and and this uh, this next series is a very important one when it comes to this uh, to this Red Sox team. A tough week coming up. You know, it's the same two teams, the uh, Tampa and the uh, Yankees, but it's a great opportunity again. You know, hopefully, last night wasn't a momentum killer that they'll uh, play the way they did this past week. You know, Alex Cora said before the Yankee series, the most important thing is to win the series and keep winning series, and if you do that, you're going to gain ground. So. There's still two months to go. That's a lot of time. Last night was a bit of a downer, but you know, if you said at the start of the weekend, three out of four, I think most people would have taken that. So we'll focus on that and uh, hope for a similarly successful week. You certainly can't count out the Red Sox for the wild card race, but the division is over. They're not going to make up nine games over the final two months of the season. That one is done. That ship has sailed. Even if the Yankees have starting pitching that needs a lot of help, it's just too much ground to make up nine games in the final two months. Now, Boston can be in the wild card mix, and so Boston should have hopes on still making October. Right now, they're fighting it out with the Rays and the Indians and the A's, but they can be with all of those teams, and there's two slots to make the wild card, and so the Red Sox just need to get out of their own way, and Chris Sale and the starting pitching has been a big reason why this season has just been a disappointment thus far. Now, for the Indians, are they buyers or are they sellers? Well, if the price is right, sounds like they'll be sellers with Trevor Bauer, who one of their best starting pitchers over the weekend melts down on the mound, takes a ball from the umpire, fires it into the protective netting, and then as he's getting taken out by Terry Francona, fires the baseball over the center field wall. Trevor Bauer is really talented, but he's also a bit of a head case. Should the Indians be sellers here, and will this affect his value at the deadline? Here's the Ken Carmen Show, 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. I know that it's not the best thing ever to do. I thought it was funny. I just I, I couldn't help but laugh. I thought it was so stupid. It was funny. And then you watch the highlight. I don't know if you saw the, the sequence on SportsCenter. Because, like, people got up and they, like, left. There were several people going, what, what the hell happened? It was five-something, and I got up, up and I left, and, and that was the end of it. And all of a sudden, th- this all happened. And Terry Francona obviously not happy. Because of that, is that really showing him up? Is it showing up Tito Francona? Oh, the way that baseball people are, the way that there is a a tried and true, you you sit there and you take it as that manager comes out. Because that's why he threw the ball. He saw Tito start to make his way up. Um, But here's the question I think everyone's going to want to know now. Do you think this does anything to his trade value? Do you think this does anything to the way the Indians? I don't think so. Okay, but do you think, think it so. does anything to the way the Indians think of his value? I, I don't know if there's anything else that I could say other than just, hey, if you want him, you're going to meet the price. If you're not going to meet the price, we're not going to trade him. It's our problem, isn't it? The, 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 whatever ramifications come from him throwing the ball over center field fence, that, that is our problem. 
if you don't want to make it your problem, if you feel that it's not enough, then fine. I'm not just going to give him away for nothing. I'm not going to give him away for nothing because I'm mad at him because he threw the ball over the center field fence. That's silly. Come on. That's reactionary. I just wonder if, like, the Indians, who may not have trusted him anyway in a big spot or any spot in general, were like, this is this is it. We, we've got to move him anyway. Maybe take a little less to just get 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 him out of here. And I, I don't know how popular he is in the in the clubhouse. I have I no feel, idea. I, I feel, honestly, if they, if they move on from him, I feel that's the market. Whatever they get, I think that that's probably the market. I, I, I don't know if this makes that big of it. It's not like people didn't know that Trevor Bauer can be a little bit difficult to deal with, right? I think everybody and their brother knows Trevor Bauer can be pretty difficult to deal with at times. So he threw the ball over the fence. Okay, that's a no-no. He knows he's not supposed to do that. He knew immediately when he did when he did that he wasn't supposed to do it. We're moving on. And I think for the Indians, I, my price stays the same. This stuff kind of happens to him often. And what I mean by that is meltdowns during a game. He's way too talented to have the amount of meltdowns that he has. And I'm not talking mentally like, well, I guess I am talking mentally, but I'm talking about just letting a game get away from you against that team, against that lineup, and letting things out of your control dictate because things are going to happen in baseball, and Trevor brings that stuff up all the time. I honestly think he he did kind of get the shaft yesterday, and it all comes back to whether or not you as an Indians fan would trust him in a spot. And I don't think the Indians have ever fully trusted him, and that's why I always thought that, hey, if they can get a good deal for him, they are going to go try to get a good deal for him, and now we are less than three days. Well, I still think it needs to come down to a good deal. I, I, I hate to cut you off there, but I think it has to still be a good deal. If if somebody's giving me this argument of, well, now I'm, I'm going to offer you less, then I'll just hold on to Trevor Bauer. That's fine. I, I think that, again, there's plenty of people who don't like Trevor Bauer, and we're seeing more and more of those people because of this this incident. But I don't think that this incident was crazy. I think this incident has been completely overblown already by people who really don't like Trevor Bauer, don't care for Trevor Bauer, and, again, who thought that he was already going to be traded. I'm still going to stick with my plan of it. I, I have to have something nice to be able to trade Trevor Bauer. I don't think this incident affects Trevor Bauer's value. I think, as the guys were just saying, if you're willing to pony up for Bauer, you knew coming into it you were going to get that type of hot head anyway, difficult at times to deal with anyway. But teams are willing to take that on if it means a chance at winning a World Series. So if somebody meets the price of what the Indians asking price is, I'm sure he'll be dealt. But this little incident really shouldn't be a make-or-break situation for other teams. And for Bauer, it is kind of entertaining to see a guy lose his mind completely and then come back and immediately apologize. Like, for a moment, I just completely lost my mind. So he threw the ball over the fence. Okay, that's a no-no. He knows he's not supposed to do that. He knew immediately when he did that he wasn't supposed to do it. We're moving on. Who would have ever thought the New York Mets would be buyers at the deadline? The Mets are five games under five hundred, But apparently, a weekend series sweep over the Pirates... Has Brody Van Wagen in their general manager? Seeing stars, as in the October stars. So they end up acquiring Jay's starting pitcher, Marcus Stroman, for two of their best pitching prospects. Does this make any sense? Here's Boomer Esiason, a noted Mets fan, with Jerry Recco on WFAN in New York. The Mets now have six starting pitchers. The Yankees have none. Well, Vargas is not <laughs> staying, though, right? I, I, well, either Vargas or Wheeler, or maybe if somebody is going to ramp up and pay for Syndergaard, like San Diego, I don't know. You never you never know. And Syndergaard, I, mean, I told Alice a moment ago, he did change his bio on Twitter. He says, starting pitcher for the New York Mets, comma, 
for now. And he's he's tweeting out, I don't know what's going on. Although we're going to get, get rid of him, man. He's like he's like he's a little bit of a pain in the ass. He's kind of like uh, mm. the Mets version of Clint Frazier. Like what 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 are we doing here? So I, I don't he's know. What, average, I'm not yes. sure what Brody Van Wagenen is doing. Uh, I don't know if he is maneuvering and has a deal already in place for one of his other top players that he may be moving, and he may be thinking about next year. But I would also think coming off of a sweep of the Pirates since the first time since 2000, I think in 10. Now all of a sudden you're a little bit closer in the whole wild card. Are you are you doing all of this to get to one wild card game? Is that what you feel like, or do you feel like after oh. watching this team come out of uh, the All Star break playing pretty good baseball? And now all of a sudden being one of the better teams because they have leapfrogged the Three Pirates. Three teams. The Pirates, Rockies, Reds, and, and Padres. Yeah. So now they're right behind the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, three and a half or what, two and a half games behind the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks have a two-game series with the Yankees. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of teams they still have to jump over. Uh, they have to get the 500 first. But I, I really do not know if this is about next year or because Stroman and Syndergaard are pretty much the same contractually, right? Uh, yeah, you've got Stroman through next year. Right, like you would have Syndergaard through next year, right? So yeah, they're, I mean, they're pretty much the same. It's very, very similar to what they are what they could do, what they will do. But So, I, so essentially, I, I right know, now, the, right, essentially right now, the Mets actually have added salary. They have. Not so much. That, He's only so, making $2.5 so, million. Dollars yeah, no, so, but that's leads me to believe that somewhere they're going to be shedding salary <laughs> if you put it in the Met world, right? I, I would suppose, yes. They but, are going to do something this week. But they're guess not what? finished. Guess what? George Steinbrenner, if he were alive, he'd be ticked because the back pages right now, if it means anything yeah. to anybody anymore, uh, belong to the New York Mets. At least this morning they do. And this was also a guy that was penciled into going to the Yankees by many. That's To me, that's awesome. That's Why do you think awesome Toronto move. did this deal so soon? Because I think they wanted the guys that the Mets had offered to them. That that's mm. the only reason why I don't. I don't. You know, we always sit here. We say, well, what about this guy? And we start manufacturing trades. And you know, and I was listening yesterday. Guys calling in manufacturing trades with uh, Chris Moore and everything else. I'm like, like, I don't even want to get into that because I, I don't know the nuts and bolts of what each prospect level is for each of these teams and who is you know who somebody may want that I've never heard of. So I don't even want to get into that. And then we start talking about Clint Frazier, and you start talking about uh, Anduar, who's been on the shelf for the uh, the Yankees. And who knows if these guys are even available or if anybody even wants them or whether or not the Yankees even want to get rid of those guys. I don't think this makes any sense. I think Brody Van Wagenen coasted into this job convincing Fred Wilpon, who's now in his 80s, that he is going to make the Mets a winner because Wilpon doesn't have much more patience at his age. And I think because the season has been such a disaster, Van Wagenen is doubling down on trying to make them a contender. Look, if they trade away Syndergaard or Wheeler, Zach Wheeler, perhaps Jason Vargas, maybe they get back a big return, which is more than they ended up giving up for Stroman. Perhaps they've now driven up the price on their own starting pitchers to trade because they've acquired Marcus Stroman. But I don't see how we have any faith, anybody should, that Van Wagenen has the best interests at heart of this franchise considering he has been basically a debacle from a personnel standpoint since he was hired and really a debacle from a PR standpoint put the target on the chest of the Mets the tragic story from the basketball world over the weekend happened in Memphis where former Memphis star and NBA veteran Lorenzen Wright was murdered and it was an unsolved mystery for a number of years well his ex-wife 
who had for a long time been suspected as organizing a plot to kill her ex-husband to cash in on insurance policies and his estate and the pension from the NBA, ended up pleading guilty over the weekend in a plea deal. Here is the latest from Memphis and 92.9 there with the Gary Parish show. The scene in the courtroom earlier today, I think a lot of us saw it, but not many of us were in there. You were there. What was it like? It was uh, it was pretty surreal, Gary. I mean, uh, you know, Cheryl Wright was arrested in California in late 2017, so I flew out and saw her first court appearance after her arrest in late 2017. So there's probably been about a dozen court appearances since her initial arrest here in Shelby County. And it was, uh, it was, first of all, it was completely uh, a shock to all of us in the media. She did not have a scheduled court appearance today, but um, the media caught wind of this about 10 o'clock this morning. We all barreled over to 201 Poplar uh, in position. It happened about 11. Um, you saw um, probably one of the most poignant family members you'll see is that not only Lorenz and Wright's mother, Deborah Marion, um, but her grandmother, uh, who I believe is in her late 80s or early 90s. Um, she was visibly emotional, wiping tears um, as uh, before Cheryl Wright walked out. So quite, you know, quite a scene to see. Uh, you know, a lot of the other court appearances were more of a you know preliminary measure, but today was. Obviously, a huge, significant event because we all knew that Cheryl Wright would um, be accepting a plea deal. On one hand, this is a nice development. She's taken responsibility for the role she played in the death of a local celebrity, a former NBA player who started at the University of Memphis. On the other hand, a lot of the, um, the feedback on Twitter is that people don't understand how she could be responsible for her ex-husband's death and maybe get out of jail in just out of prison in just seven years because of the way um, this plea works. Um, do, do you have any insight to why the prosecution thought this was an acceptable deal to put on the table for her? Well, I believe this. You know, it's it's kind of on. There's two sides of the coin. On the one side for the prosecution, you have the fact that she is going to be pleading guilty and you know taking responsibility. That's what the prosecutor Paul Hagerman said. She said the family is behind this 100 percent because she is taking responsibility. Uh, and by doing this plea deal, the first degree murder charge, which was on the table and would have been on the table had this gone to trial on as it was scheduled in mid September. That's off the table now. She pleaded to two lesser charges, facilitation of first-degree murder and facilitation to commit first-degree murder. So essentially she pleaded guilty to plotting it, uh, not actually committing the first-degree murder act. So that takes off a life in prison sentence potentially had she been convicted in September. Now she faces a 30-year sentence. But, um, Gary, inside of that, though, um, she can be eligible for parole in a little more than seven years because you're eligible for parole 30% in uh, your sentence, and it's a 30% into 30 years. And with her about a year and a half or so already in jail as credit, uh, she could be eligible for parole in a little more than seven years. So on the flip side of the coin, on the other side for her attorneys, uh, with the, the potential challenge of life in prison, conviction, or um, – seven years she could be a free woman that was a deal that they were ready to accept and Cheryl Wright was also willing to accept it's a terrible story but also what makes it more terrible is that you've got people close to Lorenz and Wright that think this is way too easy for his ex-wife to get off on that sure she might plead guilty 
But that doesn't end up bringing back, obviously, her ex-husband. But more so, she could be out in six or seven years. And what does that really accomplish if she did end up orchestrating the murder of her husband? It's just a terrible story. The one somewhat satisfying piece of this is that it feels like the truth is finally coming to light. But in doing this, did she just end up saving her own hide where she should have really been thrown away for much, much longer? Over to football as we wrap things up. NFL training camps are open. And Gerald McCoy is a member of the Carolina Panthers, a longtime Tampa Bay Buccaneer defensive pro bowler, now in the division with the Panthers. And he says after all of his years as a defensive standout of the NFL, the hardest to guard defend player in the league is now his teammate. Here he is with the Mac Attack, WFNZ, Charlotte. You said something the other day. You said, I'm kind of the defensive line version of Cam or something mm-hmm. to that effect. You know, that you just love playing the game, you know, and you're going to be outspoken when you're playing and stuff like that, but you're going to be competitive too. When you played against Cam, like, did you... This song's still playing. What was it? This song's still playing. <laughs> just still let it go. With the just song. let it go, man. He's working his way did through this. Did you, like, really want to hit him and shut him up? Or did you think it was fun? Did you go back and forth with him? Like, what was it like playing against him? Nah, in the game, I didn't talk to him. Because uh, he, honestly, in the game, he doesn't talk. Uh, he doesn't not say really? much. No, no. Nah, nah, he doesn't talk in the game. You, still, you see all the antics, but he's not doing a lot of talking while he's Cut. doing it. Um, he doesn't talk to the defense. Cam doesn't talk to the defense at practice, so he's definitely not going to talk to opposing teams' defense. Yeah. Um, you may see him, you know, little clips, uh, you know, mic'd up and stuff. But like during the game, he's it's such laser focus. Um, he wants to win so bad. Uh, he's not really going back and forth with the defense now. People chatter with him. He's not just going to not say nothing. But yeah. he doesn't really say much, you know. So um, there wasn't really a lot of chatter back and forth during the game. What is it like game planning for Cam? Because people that don't know the worth of Cam, and they're all over the place, man. Just look at these stupid quarterback lists that have been put out over the last two weeks, right? Cam 15th and all this crap, right? It, it ticks me off. I feel like if you played the game, and you see what it's like to game plan for him, right? It's it's got to be different. Yeah. It's got to be more difficult. Like how how what is it like game planning when it's Cam Newton and not just a guy that you he's, know he's great, but he's going to be in the pocket and that's he's, what he's the hardest guy to defend in the NFL. You know, a lot of people think it might be Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Um, I think it's Cam because um, he can stand in the pocket and throw. He's a running back. He can do everything, man. Um, He's extremely hard to get on the ground. Not, I mean, one you got his size, but then he's he's elusive at that size, and um, he's one of those. Uh, he's a momentum quarterback and uh, a flammable quarterback is what I call him. Yeah. You know, once he gets on fire, it's, <laughs> oh yeah, Look it's out. no slowing him down. Once he gets momentum, so um, to have a guy like that on your team. It's, it's really exciting. Now, yeah. game planning for him, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that, it's the worst, man. That sums it up, doesn't it? It's the worst because in practice all week, they're like, that ain't going to work. He's going to get out of that. You're like, I know that. It's like, 
break. We've been seeing it for nine years. We know this. You know, so. Hey, man, hey. Uh, would you carry our bags to the car? Is that just for the, <laughs> just for the veteran players? I'll, 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 put, I'll, put it, I'll put it down. I'll put it down there. Yeah, you can, right. What do you think about that? For yeah. okay. Only only, only his teammates. Yeah, I, I don't think I he know, expects tried, to see you on the field. Tried to right, move right. It. I tried to get to the All right, man. Hey, it is, it's a pleasure talking with you. I'm so thrilled to have you on this team. You were yeah, a pain no in the rear for uh-huh. Panther fans. Seeing yeah, 93 all over camp. We've never so. been happy to see you before. Yeah, that's yeah, right. It's an adjustment for us. We're yeah, supposed right. to be happy about you now. Hey, man, thanks for coming thanks. on with I us. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, so much Carolina. You know, that's kind of interesting. What will the legacy of Cam Newton be? Because if Cam, for this long in his career, nearly a decade now in the NFL, is the hardest to defend player in the league, then it would be somewhat of a disappointment that he's only been to one Super Bowl and hasn't consistently been in NFC Championship games and Super Bowls and hasn't won a title yet. If he really is the hardest player to defend in the entire NFL, then is he seen as a disappointment? Can he turn this around? Because he won't always be the toughest player because obviously his mobility, his legs, his speed is going to end up eroding now at this point in his career. So is he going to be seen as almost a Mike Vick situation where what could have been because in his prime he didn't end up winning anything big, he did end up getting an MVP and going to a Super Bowl, but certainly not the legal ramifications and the hot water that Mike Vick got into, but of the same token, you know, he's going to have to end up winning a Super Bowl, I think, if this really is not a legacy of what could have been with the toughest to defend player perhaps in the league. And finally, Matt Nagy, second-year head coach in Chicago, has everybody talking about Bears, 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 Bears. But how about the next level of Mitch Trubisky's development? Here he is with Dan McNeil and Danny Parkins on 670 The Score in Chicago. You're the favorite in the NFC North, and you earned that. A lot of discussion in the offseason about the quarterback and his involvement with Matt LaFleur and the recruiting process and how much power a superstar quarterback should have. Your philosophy on it. You're a former quarterback. You're an NFL head coach. What level of trust in your quarterback is too much when it comes to handling an organization? Well, you know, I think in this case, that you're, this exact case that you're talking about, you're talking in Aaron Rodgers and, and, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks to play in a long, long time. And, and so it, it, for somebody in that organization that has the pull that he has, they have to be able to listen to some of the things that he's saying, and, and, and that's important. At the same time, there is a balance to whoever that new head coach is that comes in understanding, you know, what they're getting into. For us, we're in a position right now where, um, you know, we have a young guy in Mitch. We have a, a second-year head coach in myself. Um, where we're learning each other right now as we go. And I just think that each organization can be different, um, but I just feel really fortunate with, with who we have. What is Mitch Trubisky's ceiling? Well, it's very high. I don't want to put pressure or expectations as to say exactly, you know, what it is. But for him, he's going to tell you it, it's to be the best uh, leader he can possibly be. Uh, he's all about wins and losses. You know, people will talk about stats and how – but we, we – we, the stats will come, the numbers come, but he just want, he's leading right. I mean, just in today in our meeting today, he's he's standing up talking to these guys, telling these guys exactly how he wants a route. He didn't do that last year at this time. As the year went on, he started getting to that. Well, here we are in day one, first install, and he's telling his wide receivers how exactly how he wants his route run. I think that's a big step. It's a hell of a season, and it's all national TV and the spotlight and all of that. I'm curious for you, 
you and Andy Reid, when you guys meet, you, you got a bet with Coach <laughs> Reid? How, how, how's that going to go? <laughs> well, we don't, but I'm sure when it gets a little bit closer, um, there might be there might be something that goes on. I'll, I'll throw it out there. I'm going to guess it would, it's going to have something to do with food. <laughs> well, yeah. That would be my bet, too. <laughs> it's a Kansas City barbecue against yeah. some deep dish. With a uh, topping, by the way. With a topping uh, that comes out of a shell, potentially. <laughs> there you go. With, uh, with, with Mitch Trubisky last year, you, you admitted that it took you a little while to figure out exactly how to get Jordan Howard implemented and try to get a, a running game to complement your passing game, which is priority. You got some new faces this year in camp. David Montgomery, high expectations on him, and Mike Davis is on your club. Tell us how you see that shaking out specifically in the preseason with opportunities to see what those two guys are about. Sure. I'm really excited to see, uh, in particular, those two guys that you just mentioned, Dave Montgomery and Mike Davis. I'm, I'm anxious to see what they do once the pads come on. I know so far from what I've seen, um, the playbook hasn't been an issue at all with either one of them. Um, they're both very physical runners, but yet they, they have a lot of uh, ability to, to make guys miss in space. Uh, they have excellent hands. We can split them out, do different things, and so and and people know that we, other teams know that we do that, and they just they really fit well with what we do. Yeah, the versatility I feel like this year seems like it's fairly limitless with your offense. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> Absolutely, and and that's what we like. And um, you know, these when you're building a team, uh, it takes time to learn who people are, uh, learn who players are, and figure out what do you do best. And so. Uh, we had a great opportunity to, to draft David, you know, in that third round, and we feel like we got a steal. So far, everything he's he's shown us um, doesn't make us think any different. He, the kid is ready to put those pads on. There is a lot of people predicting Super Bowl or bust on the Bears, and let's see if Trubisky has that next level. He certainly took a nice step forward last year, as did the Bears organization, but it's a different. It's a Different reality when no, everybody knows you're coming. You are a favorite, and you are the favorites to win the division in a division that still has Aaron Rodgers in it and a pretty good Vikings team as well. Can Trubisky rise to the occasion? Can Matt Nagy prove that he was not a one-year wonder? That's the 2019 Bears, and NFL training camps are here. That's the best in your sports talk for Monday, July the 29th, and we'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.